Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be back. Feels feels good to be back. Uh, We had a, a very relaxing time away. Mason, thank you for filling in last Sunday. You did a great job. Awesome message. Uh, if we faint not. So we're going we're gonna to cover, so last time, well, two weeks ago we had the baptism service, and then the week before that we covered Hebrews 11, verse 1. Uh, this week we're going to try to one-up that and cover two verses, Hebrews 2, 11, 2, and 3. And so we're, we're, we're going to try to speed it up a little bit, uh, double, double the amount of biblical coverage today. It's going to be awesome. We've also, Aaron's been working on a video from the baptism service two weeks ago that we'll show probably next Sunday. It was amazing. If you, weren't, if you missed the baptism service, you really missed a phenomenal time. It was so, so cool to see all of the people set free in the water, um, just chains broken, people delivered. It was incredible. And so for everyone that was there, thank you for coming out and supporting us in that. So before we get started today, I'm going to... Oh, yeah, if anybody, oh, did anybody, if you were there on the beach where we were all lining up to get baptized, there was a decapitated snake on the shore. I I know some people saw that. If anyone got a picture of it, will you please text it to me because I've been trying to find a picture of it. I even went back after the service to get a picture of it and it was gone and there was a guy fishing there. So I don't know if he, I don't know, used it for bait or something. Oh, you threw it away, J.E.? Okay. All right, thank you. <laughs> well, if anyone got a picture of it, please send it to me because I really am looking for that picture. It's incredible. It literally was Genesis 3.15, I'll crush, he will crush the head of the serpent. And I, it just was such a beautiful picture of what the Lord was doing in that water right there and crushing the head of the serpent. So uh, with that, I'm going to open us up in prayer and we'll get started. We've got a lot of ground to cover today. Lord, I thank you so much for this time together. God, thank you for your anointing upon this church and upon these families. And God, we pray that you would overflow in this place and let your presence abide in this place. God, let us abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And Jesus, the Prince of Peace, just step in the midst of all of our lives and our situations, whatever they may be, and let peace, supernatural peace, usher in and settle the matter. We thank you, Lord, for Hebrews. We thank you for preserving this book on our behalf. God, I pray that you would teach us everything as we continue to go through this hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we start, as we start out here, just as a reminder, like we kind of do every week, I'm, I'm gonna cover just a couple things from Hebrews 11.1 1, that we did, I guess now that'd be three weeks ago, uh, just as a reminder. But as we go through this, just please do not forget that who the teacher is. You know, there is, there's something to be said for all of you to take anything I say up here and go test it against the scripture yourself. I mean, don't, please do not listen to me and say, well, Matt said it, so it's got to be 100% true. Go and test it and search the scriptures yourself. You've got to let the Lord the anointing of the Holy Spirit teach you everything because that's how we will have confidence to stand when Jesus calls us home in the rapture is, is that you've tested everything against the word of God. That is your guide. That's always your guide. You have to test everything you hear, everything that comes into your life, everything that someone else says, test it against the word because that'll be your filter. And you'll never go astray if you do that. And I don't know, maybe you don't hear many... <laughs> Maybe you don't hear many pastors uh, tell you not to listen to anything they say, go test it against the word, but that's what my, I'm pleading with you, please do that, because it's, it's just important. It builds your faith. It makes sure you have confidence that we're all marching the same way in the scripture together through the word, and so as we go through Hebrews, that's the challenge, is you've got to 
rely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach you everything. So as you look at this outline, we're, we're getting close to the end here. Um, we're in this section, the true and better response is faith. And that's where we are in chapter 11. A lot of people call chapter 11 the hall of faith because it's all about faith and the better response. So we heard all of these things leading up through chapter 10 about who Jesus is. He's a better priest. He's our high priest. He's a, after the order of Melchizedek. His sacrifice was once and for all. He opened the sanctuary for all. So all of that, because of all of that, what should our response be? And our response is faith. That's the, that's the point from chapter 11 on. And so if you remember from the beginning of Hebrews all the way through chapter 10, verse 18, the Holy Spirit was dealing with all those heavy kind of theological issues about the law, angels, the Levitical priesthood. But Jesus as our high priest, he is our high priest because he disannulled the need for the law. He put it to rest once and for all. And he ushered in a priesthood superior to that of Levi. Remember, the Lord even used that kind of rabbinical Jewish logic of if Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek, but yet Levi was in the loins of Abraham, Melchizedek is superior to Levi, and because Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek or in the similitude of, he is superior to the Levitical priesthood. That's the logic that the Lord was using for a couple chapters there. And so as we, as we continue to go on, remember this whole book, the, the entire book of Hebrews, it's built upon these five warnings to us. We as the believer, you have a walk. Once you're saved, you are on a walk with the Lord. And there is something at stake for you and I. And it is not our salvation. It's not our eternity. It is in the sanctification process your place of inheritance in the coming kingdom. That is at stake. The Lord has a lot to offer you, more than you could ever imagine. And we're going to hit on some pretty deep uh, physics things today, scientifically, because you're going to get a feel for everything that you look around you is temporal. And the true reality, the heavenly reality, is something so spectacular that you can't even wrap your mind around it. But if you just try for a little bit, and I, and I hope that this blesses you today, because if you just get a glimpse, a tiny glimpse of what's on the other side, I think it'll encourage you to press on boldly in the, in the word and in your walk with Jesus, because that's what it's all about. You are due for something so much greater than anything you've experienced in this world. And that is waiting for you on the other side of all of this. And so each of these five warnings, remember, each one builds upon the other. And it starts out with a danger of drifting. It's like a, a ship that's gone astray. You know, it goes off one degree, but you've charted a course across the Atlantic. And you're trying to get to Florida. You're going to end up in northern Canada just by going off one degree. And so it's that same concept of you start to drift and you slowly go away. And it's a slow process. You know, these da the dangers that the Lord's laid out here, it's not something that just happens overnight. People don't overnight forsake their relationship with Jesus and walk into apostasy. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. And that's what the Lord's laying out here. You start to drift. You're hardened, your heart is then hardened. Then you fail to mature. Then you start committing willful sin. And then you start to refuse the Lord. That's that's the order. And so we've gone through four of those warnings. The fifth one is yet to come, but it ultimately culminates with apostasy. And the Lord's actually shown me something. Oh, this was maybe a couple of weeks ago out of Matthew 13 that I'm going to share with the church here in, the, in a couple of weeks about the wheat and the tares growing up together in the end times. And there's a, there's a principle there that we need to recognize about the apostasy in the church and the enemies of the church are going to grow up with the remnant and the bride at the end times. Both have to grow. And then, the, and then comes the harvest. And so when you read in Matthew 13, it's incredible when you get that, that picture. But again, remember, what is at stake is your inheritance. It's not your salvation. And so the warnings are in place because an unshakable kingdom is at hand, a kingdom that cannot be broken. When you read in Daniel 
when he has the vision of when Nebuchadnezzar has the dream of the statue, remember, and Daniel interprets it, the thing that destroys the final beast kingdom, the final beast empire at the feet of the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw was the rock cut without hands. It's Jesus. And he sets up a kingdom that fills the whole earth. And so a kingdom is at hand. It, it will take a righteous king to usher in a righteous kingdom. And we've never had that before. But in the first, uh, the first warning, God was sounding the alarm not to drift. Remember that. And so when you keep going away, you do have at stake your place in that coming kingdom because he's going to set it up. And the question just is simply, will you stay steadfast or will you go astray? It's just that simple at the end of the day. And so if you remember from three weeks ago now in Hebrews 11.1, 1, we're just going to touch on this verse real quick. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So biblically, remember, this is the definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And remember the Greek word uh, pistis here, it's, it's relating to the conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal salvation through Christ. Relating to Christ, it's a strong and welcome conviction or belief that Jesus is the Messiah through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. And so faith, it's the substance of all that's hoped for. And all that's hoped for is Jesus. He is the substance of everything that every one of us should be hoping for. It's the Lord. And in the Old Testament, remember the first time faith appears is Deuteronomy 32, 20. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. For they are a very froward generation, children in whom is no faith. You know, when you study the Bible a lot, when people go astray and, re and rebel against the Lord, you often find that God has some very stern words for them. I mean, this is, look what he's saying here. It's a froward generation and children in whom is no faith. You know, he's not really beating around the bush. He's very, he's very much hitting this head on. And the children of Israel, they were all saved, every one of them that was delivered out of Egypt. They were saved by the blood of the lamb and baptized through the water. But they rebelled constantly. The last word of that verse in the Hebrew is imum, imun. And it's used only in four other Old Testament passages. It's, it's translated as faithful three times and truth once. So in Proverbs 13, 17, a wicked messenger falleth into mischief but a faithful ambassador is health. Okay, there's that faithful. A faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. Most men will pro proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And how true that is. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in, in Isaiah 26, verse two. So in the Greek word for the New Testament for faith, that, that word pistis again, Remember, it's Matthew 9, 2. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, that's that Greek word. So remember in parentheses, if it says G and then a number, that's the link to the Strong's Concordance word. So you can look it up and find everywhere in the Bible that that Greek word is used. Said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. So Jesus, remember, he saw their faith. Now, how could Jesus see their faith if, the, if faith is the evidence of things not seen? Just think about that. The answer is pretty simple because only the Lord sees the intents of the heart and knows the heart. So he can see how much faith you have in your life. When, you're in, when you are in fellowship with him, he can see it. Or if you don't. In Matthew 9, 22, but Jesus turned to him, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. By faith, thy faith hath made thee whole, and the woman was made whole from that hour. So her faith, again, brought her something in this world. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. So it's, they're being healed by their faith. 
if you were at the baptism service and you were set free in the water, it was because of your faith. You had belief that the, the Lord Jesus can conquer this in your life and take all of that off of you. Okay, continuing in the lack of faith can still can stall your works for the kingdom. Okay, think about that. Matthew 17, 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, in a very politically correct and sensitive manner, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil or the demon, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. See, Jesus just hits it head on. But their lack of faith, it stalled them. The disciples were trying to do the work of the king, and they didn't have enough faith, and so they could not take the fight to the enemy. They couldn't do it. They couldn't conquer this stronghold in this young man's life because they didn't have enough faith. Okay, in Matthew 17, 19, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto him, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall be removed. It shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. So the disciples did not understand that they needed to have the word of God, prayer and fasting to conquer a certain enemy in the kingdom, in the kingdom of darkness. And so just don't forget, your limitations for work in the kingdom are a function of your faith. The more faith you have, the greater you will be of service to the Lord. And so that's why it's important to never forget Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So they lacked the faith. They couldn't do it. So how should we act in our faith? Luke twenty two thirty seven. For I say unto you that, th that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me, and he was reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. So remember, Peter, he started out so zealous for the kingdom. He was extremely enthusiastic for the Lord, but he still drifted away and lacked the faith to walk with the Lord. Okay, remember he was demoted after the resurrection. Remember after the resurrection, Jesus said, go tell the disciples and Peter. Okay, in Hebrews 10, 38, from, a couple, from last chapter, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. That is such a vital concept. Okay, when you are running with the Lord and, and putting your hand to the plow and moving forward, Jesus does not take pleasure when people draw back from the faith. When people start to let go and they, and they drift away, he does not have any pleasure or joy in that. And they let go and they slip back into things that they were delivered out of. They start falling into traps of the enemy, whatever those may be. And it's, it's something that grieves him. It grieves the Lord. And that's why in Ephesians, you know, you can't, you, you oftentimes don't really think of the Holy Spirit this way. But in, in Ephesians, the Lord says, grieve not the Spirit, the Spirit of God. You can grieve the Holy Spirit because he's indwelling you and yet you have a form of godliness denying the power thereof. And that, that is something that the Lord takes very serious. So remember in Habakkuk 2.4, behold his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So that phrase, remember, is, is expanded on in three books of the New Testament. Who are the just? The book of Romans. And that verse is quoted in all three, by the, by the way. Romans 1.17. How shall the just live? The book of Galatians. Galatians 3.11. What does it mean to live by faith? The book of Hebrews. Hebrews 10, verse 39. 
So God delights in you pressing on in Christ and not drawing, drawing back. You need to know how to live and what it means to live by faith. You can go ahead, Aaron. Oh, okay, no worries. Okay, Hebrews 10.39. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So remember, the soul, this is the saving of the soul, the mind, will, and emotions. So to be victorious over the enemy and not to let emotions take control of your life, you've got to stay grounded in the word of God because then your spirit is over your emotions and you are just walking peaceably and calmly with the Lord. So even, even in this verse, your soul's at stake, not your spirit. It's not the salvation that's at stake. So are you of them that hold fast with patient endurance, or are you of them who return and draw back unto perdition? Remember Luke 9, 62. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, he has no pleasure in drawing back. Zero. Think about, again, Lot's wife. Remember, she looked back longingly at, the, at where she was delivered out of, and her walk stalled. The Lord made her a pillar of salt. That salt has no use if it's not going where the Lord sends you. Okay, you are the salt of this earth, right? How can the salt work if it's not going where the Lord sends you? And so Lot's wife, she messed up. She blew it at that point and lost her witness and her walk. Okay, so to start the two verses today, that was just a quick little recap. Hebrews 11.2. For by it the elders obtained a good report. By what? By faith. By faith the elders obtained a good report. Remember Romans 10.17. You're going to hear this verse a lot today because you've got to keep in mind, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So think of all the great people in the Bible, and this was just a list off the top of my head, but how were they successful in God's eyes? Think about that. Noah, Job, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Joshua, Ruth, Esther, David, Jonah, Daniel, Ezekiel, John the Baptist, John the Apostle, James, Paul, etc. You could, you could have so many names on that list. Abel, Hebrews is going to talk about Abel next time. Obadiah, Habakkuk, Obed. I mean, you just go down the list. How were they successful? You know, think about what do they all have in common? That Well, they each received and followed through on direction directly from God's word. Some of them to the point of, think about Ezekiel. God said, I'm going to give you this message and you're going to go give it to my people and they will not hear you. Boy, that's a call. How many of you want that call on your life? That's, that would be maybe the most discouraging call you could ever have, but he did it. He was obedient. He went to God's people and delivered a message that they did not receive. Okay, think about Jonah. Jonah delivered a message out of obedience that was eight words, none of it with anything to do with repentance, turn from your evil ways, Nothing. It was 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. That's it. But yet the entire kingdom of Nineveh repented from the king all the way down to the least of them because Jonah was obedient. He didn't even have to say anything about repentance. He just went and delivered God's word. And on faith, the people heard because they knew the character of God, of the Hebrews, the God of the Hebrews, that if they repented, maybe God would relent this judgment. And that's exactly what he did. So they were not swayed by situations, people, you know, worldly pressures, the possibility of dire outcomes, ultimately leading to death. We're going to read about, there's a hint in Hebrews 11 here next time about Isaiah being sawed asunder. He was, I think he died, a lot of scholars think he died by being cut in half with a wooden saw from Manasseh. That's, that people willingly did this on behalf of God because he gave them a message, a word, and they were not swayed. So how about you? you know, it's a simple question. When you think about if you went home right now, because none of us are promised tomorrow, 
Something could happen when you leave this place. I pray that it does not. But you never know. Every one of us is on a clock. And we're going to, we will go home at some point, some of us sooner than others probably. Maybe all together in the rapture, I don't know. But what will the report be for you? That's the question. Will there be a good report? Will someone, would God write a message about your life and say, he obtained or she obtained a good report at the end of it all? That's what it's about. And so you've got to stay strong in what God calls you to do. This phrase, the phrase here, obtained a good report, in the Greek, this word occurs 79 times in 75 verses in the New Testament. It's got the following definition. To be a witness, to bear witness, to affirm that one has seen or heard or experienced something or that he knows it because taught by divine revelation or inspiration to give and not to keep back the testimony. And so just think about that. Think about that real quick. Obtained a good report. You've heard or experienced something or that he knows it because taught by divine revelation and inspiration from God and you don't hold it back. And so in God's eyes, you were obedient. You did exactly what he called you to do. There's a few examples here. Look at John 7, verse 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hateth me because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. So notice it's not a good report. It's just a report. And so part of in the, in the Greek, what this actually means is you obtain a report. Now, the elders obtained a good report by adhering to God's word. Jesus has a bad report for the world. The world doesn't hate you. It hates me because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. That's a, that's a strong rebuke from the Lord, from Jesus. John 15, 26. I love Jesus, too. He's always very direct. You know, you brood of vipers. He's very, <laughs> he, does not, he does not sugarcoat things. But when the Comforter has come, who will, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So the Holy Spirit is going to testify of a, of a good report of Jesus. Beginning in verse 4, the Lord's going to give us a list of some of those elders and the report they received because of their faith. And so this exact term, by faith, which starts out Hebrews 11 verse 4, which we'll start next time. By faith, it occurs 36 times in the Greek New Testament with 16 of those occurrences being in Hebrews 11. And this is why some call this chapter the Hall of Faith. So, so the Lord's going to go through Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, and others when we begin that section. In Revelation 2, verse 13, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Okay, so that, that word there, the, the by faith, is G4102. And Jesus is talking about to that church in Revelation 2, you hold fast my name and has not denied my faith. That's a good report. Hebrews 2 verse 19, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. Jesus knows, what I want you guys to understand is Jesus knows your faith. He knows your works. You don't do things in secret against the Lord or for the Lord. He sees it all. And so when you're doing and, and walking out a calling for the Lord, do not get discouraged if nobody else sees it. He sees it. And he has it stored up in heaven for you. That's, that is so encouraging. You don't need, yes, it is encouraging for the body to come around and encourage one another and exhort one another. Those are great things. But when that's not happening, don't lose hope because the Lord sees it all. And conversely, if you're pushing against his kingdom, the Lord sees that. 
he sees it. You, you don't do things like that in dark. So the next verse here, Hebrews 11.3. Okay, this is maybe the greatest, one of the greatest physics statements in the whole Bible. And so we're going to dive into, um, from here on, a, a lesson on quantum physics and how it relates to God's word. So hang with me. It's going to be fun. Um, I hope you all enjoy this and don't, don't leave going, what in the world is Matt talking about? No idea. Let's use the Holy Spirit <laughs> to teach us. So through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen are not, were not made of things which do appear. It sounds a lot like a, a double negative or something. The things which are seen were made of things which do not appear. What in the world is, is God talking about? That's a, it's a, it's an odd statement. You know, Albert Einstein, when he started studying quantum physics and quantum mechanics and getting into it, he, one of his famous quotes is that, this is really spooky. He said, it's weird. It defies every law of our nature that any of us have ever realized as scientists. And it blew his mind. In fact, we're going to look at one of the guys that committed suicide because of what he discovered in quantum entanglement. He, it, it rocked his fundamental belief on the world so much that he killed himself. He couldn't handle it. And so we're going to get into something that, that is really unique. And so we have to remember Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So think about this in Hebrews 11, verse 3. Through faith by the word of God. So it's through faith, but faith is a byproduct of the word of God. When God speaks, it builds faith. That's the only way faith comes. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So remember the cycle in God's word. Randy's dad actually taught on this when he, when he was a guest speaker many months ago. But remember the cycle in God's word. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding. That's the cycle. You study his word to get knowledge. You take that knowledge by the Holy Spirit and you gain more wisdom. That wisdom transfer, transforms into understanding of the word of God. And you take that understanding and you go back all over again. And you get more knowledge, wisdom, understanding. Satan stops at knowledge. He only knows the word of God. He has no understanding of it because he does not have the Holy Spirit. And so he's a liar from the beginning. He knows God's word, and so he twists it, and he tries to use it out of context to get all of us, God's people, including Jesus himself, to go astray. And that's why Jesus countered everything he said with the entire counsel of God's word. From the book of Deuteronomy, mind you, Jesus quoted a lot out of Deuteronomy. So the Greek word here for worlds so we understand, that's by the Holy Spirit, that the worlds, that Greek word is eon or aeon in the Greek. It literally means period of time or age. It's referring to time domains. This is not the worlds as in the cosmos. That, that word in the Greek refers to the physical universe. Okay, cosmos is different. Acts 17.24 has the word cosmos. God that made the world, in the Greek that's cosmos, and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Now that's an interesting statement God's making. But God made the cosmos, the physical universe. Here in Hebrews 11.3, well, faith by the word of God framed the, the eons or the ages, the ages to come. It's a different, it's a different issue here. So the ages themselves were framed by the word of God. The Greek word for were framed literally means to mend what has been broken or rent, to repair, to fit out, equip, put in order, arrange, or adjust. So it's putting order into chaos. That's what is the, the Lord is saying here. The time domains, the ages were put back in order by the word of God. That's another way you could think of Hebrews 11.3. So it just confirms the gap that we studied in Let There Be War Part 1 
between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 because, remember, Genesis 1 verse 2, the, the world was without form and void and darkness was upon the deep. Well, that without form and void is confusion, emptiness, brokenness. In Isaiah 45, 18, the Lord says, I created the heavens and the earth. I created them not without form and void. The, Greek, the Hebrew word is tohu. He didn't create it that way. So Genesis 1, 1, go back. If you weren't here for that, go back and listen to that. But Genesis 1, 1, God created the heavens and the earth, and the angels cheered from the book of Job when he created it. They rebelled. The judgment is in Jeremiah chapter 4. The Holy Spirit judged the entire earth, and it set confused and in darkness for what could have been billions and billions of years, and Satan was powerless to do anything about it until the Holy Spirit brewed over it. And that's why in the in this seven days of recreation, the evening and the morning is day one. Well, evening and morning is only half a day. It's like a 12-hour period. Those words really mean order out of chaos. It's Arab and Boker in the Hebrew. So the Lord put order out of chaos in day one, day two, day three. He was reducing the entropy until the seventh day there was no more chaos. And so he rested. And that's why the seventh day there is no evening and morning. It's just his work's complete. He put it all back together. And so the world, the word, these ages were framed at that point by the word of God. They were framed. Now, it's interesting that everything subject to time is in the bondage of decay. Everything. Think about everything in this world. It's subject to the bondage of decay. And that's what Romans 8.21 declares. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. It's why food has an expiration date. It's why our temporal bodies will pass away at some point. They have a time clock. Materials waste away. Metals rust. You know, buildings crumble. It's because everything is under the bondage of decay from when Adam and Eve fell. It's also why there must be a new heavens and a new earth, those that are not subject to the bondage of corruption. Isaiah 65, 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. God has to reset it all. He has to remake it all because this is corrupted by sin and the rebellion. Isaiah 66, verse 22 for as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. So the new heavens and the new earth, he's got to make them. One of the reasons the current cosmos or our universe must be dissolved is because it is subject to time. And this is what the Lord says in Second Peter chapter 3. Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. Did you know you could hasten, you could speed up the time in which Jesus returns? You can hasten it. How do you hasten it? Well, you look for it. Because when you look for it and you know how close it is, it will give you a sense of urgency and fervency to live for the Lord. And all the Lord is waiting for is that last person to get saved in the church that he knows will enter the ark and then he's going to blow the trumpet and call the church home. And that's all in Romans 11, that blindness in part has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. That's a, that's a term for the church. It's a volumetric measurement of how many people will get in the church age. The Lord knows, but you can hasten it. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. You know, he promised to Noah that he would never again destroy the earth with a flood. But in 2 Peter, you've got to kind of read the fine print. He's going to do it with fire next time. And how does he do it with fire? Well, this is where we're going to get into in a little bit with, with atoms and everything. But it's the word of God that's holding every atom together in the universe. And what happens when you split that bond? It's the greatest source of energy ever discovered on earth. It's an atomic bomb. One atom, you split it. It's that much energy to destroy an entire city. Just level it. 
and for people to not inhabit it for hundreds of years afterwards because of the reaction. And so how is he going to do it? Well, they're going to melt with a fervent heat. He's going to remove his voice and just pull it back. And all of the atoms are just going to split and the entire cosmos, the entire universe that he created will just melt away with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for, again, new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Do you see how the Lord is, is connecting, looking for new heavens and a new earth, and you being found with, by him in peace, without spot and blameless, just think about that. He wants you to be found walking and abiding in peace with him. And it's an important concept. You, in the body of Christ, in the book of James, it says, where there is strife and evil speaking, there is every evil work and confusion. And that's, that is the root of everything, every evil work the tongue and strife. So when you look at this, 10 times in Genesis, the word says, God said, and when the worlds were framed, when the worlds were framed by the word of God, 10 times in Genesis 1.3, 1.6, 1.9, 1.11, 1.14, verse 20, 24, 26, 28, and 29, 10 times. There's a Jewish rabbi named Nachmanides. Uh, he lived from 1194 to 1270, and he spent most of his life in Spain. And in his Genesis commentary, he concluded that there were 10 dimensions, but only four were knowable or are knowable. That's in his commentary on the book of Genesis, written in 1263. He concluded by the word of God that there were 10 dimensions, because 10 times in the book of Genesis it says, and God said, but we, in our physical state right now, fallen, only have access to four of them, three spatial and one time dimension. And modern particle physics made this discovery with uh, string theory, is what they call it, which is an interesting phrase. We're going to look at that in a second. String theory, and they've spent billions and billions of dollars on the most high-tech equipment you can imagine, particle colliders. Uh, they're studying, like, the Ant-Man and Wasp, uh, wasn't that movie the, into the quantum realm or something? They're diving into a quantum realm trying to discover this, and they've discovered it by studying gravity waves and all kinds of weird stuff. But look at Psalms 33, verse 2. Praise the Lord with harp, sing unto him with a psaltery and an instrument of what? Ten strings. The Lord knows I mean, he, that, he's got a pun in, embedded there, 10 dimensions on string theory. So 10 strings, praise the Lord on 10 strings. And it's amazing how often this shows up. Psalms 92 verse three, upon an instrument of 10 strings and upon the psaltery, upon the harp with a solemn sound. Now this is an interesting instrument too. The, the 10 string, I'm gonna butcher this name, begana, which corresponds to the ancient Greek, whatever that instrument is, it's a large, heavy, rectangular instrument that is considered by the Christian Ethiopians to be a God-given instrument that came to them from King David. And it's used, of course, for sacred music. And that's all from uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. So we currently have four dimensions that are directly measurable, length, width, height, and time. Okay, so you, you really have three and a half dimensions there, and we'll explain that in a second. The other six are curled less than 1.6 times 10 to the 35th meters, and that's a lot of zeros. They're curled that way where we don't have access to them. That's what in the Christian community you would call the spiritual realm. A lot of, how many of you have heard that phrase, spiritual warfare, spiritual realm? You, you hear that, that's what the, the Lord is talking about, is a physical reality beyond what you're seeing right now that is more real than the chair you're sitting in. That is the reality, the heavenly reality. You can't get to it right now, but you will. You will, we're gonna talk about our resurrected bodies in a minute too. So our four dimensions, it's really three and a half because you can, you can 
move forward in time and look back, but you can't move backward and look forward. Okay, you, you time travel. You know, people have been trying to figure that out in movies for a hundred years, but that concept. And this is what the Lord means in Ephesians 3, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Notice the four dimensions the Lord mentions in, in Ephesians 3 here. The length, depth, height, and breadth. He says four dimensions. One of those is time. It's the, the first one, breadth, I think. So how does Christ dwell in your heart? By faith. In verse 418, it's breath, it's time. And all the other ones mean a spatial dimension. So when you look at an atom, there's, there's more empty space than there is actual physical matter. And the linear distance, so if you took a nucleus and an electron, it's approximately 10 to the fifth is the, dif- the distance between a nucleus and an electron spinning around it, okay? And so volumetrically, you do 5 plus 5 plus 5, 10 to the fifth times 3, it's 10 to the 15th. So the atomic structure itself, it's more empty than it is physical matter by the same ratio as one second is to 30 million years. Think about that. 30 million years, that's 15 zeros. That's crazy. That's how much more emptiness is in an atom than actual matter. And so the the atomic structure itself what is holding it together? So, you know, scientists have been looking for this forever because if it's so empty and you have like charges, you have electrons that are like charges and they're trying to pull apart, how is it held together? Well, they discovered recently, I've got the link, I think, on the next slide, but they discovered it's sound waves. And so we're going to look at that in a minute. But when things collide, it's not the matter that's hitting despite how it feels. It's due to the electromagnetic field that you don't pass through things. You know, when, my, when your hand hits something, it's not passing through despite all of that emptiness because of the electromagnetic field. It has nothing to do with the matter. If you took a hydrogen uh, atom and you blew it up to the size of a golf ball, the nucleus, just to give you a feel, the nearest electron would be spinning all the way down at Norman, Okay. Just think about that. That's how much emptiness is there. So if you had two of those colliding, what are the chances the matter is actually colliding? Almost zero. It's the emptiness, but it's, it's being held back by something special. So what's, what's, held, what's holding it together? It's by his word in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. John 1.1, in the beginning, the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1.14, and the word was made flesh and tabernacled amongst us. Colossians 1.16, for by him, who's him, Jesus, were all things created, things that are, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, those are all ranks of angels. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist or are held together. By his word, Hebrews 1 verse 3, upholding all things by the word of his power. He's upholding it by the word. And that's the link there. There's a point when Jesus lets go in 2 Peter 3 verse 10. And that's the link to the the glue that holds the world together that Discover Magazine wrote about some years ago. Scientists have been looking for it forever. They just generically call it gluons. But what they discovered is the voice of God. That's what holds it all together. So when you, when you look at this, there's a scientist named Planck that discovered our universe is really made up of indivisible, what, what the world of quantum physics calls quantas. Okay, it's like individual building blocks. It's like if you had a big box of Legos and every one was a two-by-two two gray block but you built a house with it, right? You can't get anything less than that building block, but with those, you can make something magnificent. It's that same concept. It's individual building blocks. There's a plank length. 
There's nothing in our universe that can be smaller than 1.6 times 10 to the negative 35th meters. A Planck time, there's no time unit smaller than 1 times 10 to the, neg to the negative 44 seconds. There's a Planck mass, which is 21 micrograms. Everything in our world is made up of these individual building blocks. And so when you look at it, this is, this is why this guy, this quantum physicist, committed suicide, because he discovered this. Anything smaller than that Planck length is instantaneously everywhere in the universe at the same time. And it, it blew his mind. He couldn't handle it. It's everywhere in the universe at the same time, and if they're linked, they call it quantum entanglement. And it, it loses a property in quantum physics known as locality. They don't know what else to call it, so they just call it locality. Okay, a photon, when, when you think of a photon, it's a particle representing a quantum of light or other electromagnetic radiation. A photon carries energy proportional to the radiation frequency, but has a zero rest mass, okay? Think of it as a tiny particle of light. And there's a link there about discovering the phenomenon of quantum entanglement. This was one quote in it. Is one of the uber bizarre phenomenon, I bet, <laughs> seen when things get itty bitty or inside the quantum realm. I feel like uh, Ant-Man and Wasp here. When two or more particles link up in a certain way, no matter how far apart they are in space, their states remain linked. That means they share a common unified quantum state, so observations of one of the particles can automatically provide about the other entangled, that's why they call it that, particles, regardless of the distance between them. And, the, and any action to one of the particles will invariably impact the other in the entangled system. And so if you had one particle on the other side of the Milky Way galaxy and one right here, if they were entangled, they would do the exact same thing. Now, how does that happen? It's because they're linked in those other dimensions we can't get to. And it's why scientists, we only discovered about a very small portion of the gravity wave. They don't know where the rest of it is. Well, it's on the other side. It's where we can't get to it yet. Okay, due to these findings, modern scientists wrote in 2005 edition of Scientific America that our universe is but a shadow of a larger reality. They, and there's two links, you can go look that up if you're interested. But what we see around us is nothing, it's made up of these indivisible units and they just call it a hologram. It's, it's where the movie The Matrix got it their idea. It was from this, these findings. And so what you see around you, it's, it's not the heavenly reality. It's all of this is going to go away. So you have a resurrected body in store, though, that can access everything else, and you'll get it instantaneously at the rapture with a place in an unshakable kingdom. Think about Jesus when he, when he was resurrected. He would just appear in a room instantaneously without coming in and out of the door. He, he wanted food. He ate. There's everything that you experience right here is a shadow of what's to come. And so that's why in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, that's a rapture phrase, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So this upgrade, what do you have? Well, you have access to all 10 dimensions, Jesus probably dwells in a, in a state of hyperdimensions and in infinite space, but you have access to him. You're going to have access to the throne room of the universe to come and go freely. You're going to have missions. You're going to have things to do for the king during the millennium. You and I get to be the ministers and the people spreading the message of Jesus during the millennium to those that are repopulating the earth. Think about that, but we get to go back and forth you, you'll have a resurrected body that you're not going to see this rainbow color spectrum. So when you think about it, all the colors you can see are just on this little tiny rainbow spectrum. And a spectral color is a compound of a single fundamental color on the visible part of the electromagnetic spectrum. 
as opposed to a mixture of colors. And even though the spectral colors are a subset of all colors, there's still an infinite amount of colors. The light spectrum goes on for infinitely in both directions. This means in your resurrected body, to put it simply, you will see trillions and trillions of new colors, not just mixtures of colors. The rainbow spectrum is all you can see right now with these eyes, but you will see all the colors God has created and because they go infinitely. You'll be able to see sounds coming off the piano. You'll be able to see new senses when you're, you're able to hear colors. You're limited right now, but you're about to be unlimited when you get your resurrected body because there is something in store so great in the kingdom that we're going to be able to see everything as God truly created it. And that's amazing. What a thing to look forward to because an unshakable kingdom is approaching. In Hebrews 12, 25 through 26, see that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. See, when Jesus walked the earth and he spoke, if those people that spoke when he was speaking in the flesh on earth did not escape, how much more are we going to escape from him who speaks from heaven, from the throne room of the universe commanding it all, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken. In other words, those atoms that are being held together by his voice, they shake. He's going to shake the heavens as things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain on the rock that is Jesus. Wherefore, we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Those are bold words that we need to serve God because he is a consuming fire. You have a responsibility, you and I, have a responsibility to be watching for the return of Jesus. There's a crown for those who are watching. 2 Timothy 4.8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Remember in the garden, they were to watch in Matthew 26.38, Then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, Jesus wanted them to be awake watching, but they couldn't even make it one hour. They were weak in the flesh. And so the Lord is pleading with you and I the same thing right now. We have the same call to be watching. Matthew 24, 42 starts with watch therefore. Matthew 25, 13 starts with watch therefore. Matthew 13, 33, take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Luke 21, 36, watch ye therefore. Jesus implores us over and over and over to watch constantly. Mark 13, 37, and what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. It's a simple proclamation, and you've gotta rightly divide the return of Jesus to gather his church and the return to earth in power. Two totally different events, two different purposes, two different outcomes. It's, it's amazing. One, we meet him in the air. One, he steps foot on the earth. One, that he comes to gather us with the sound of a trumpet, one that we come with him to return in power and to vanquish his enemies because he's just going to let go of what's holding them together. It's not even a battle. You know, we've, we've talked about the, the battle in, in church a lot. You know, Christians just in general call it the battle of Armageddon. There's no battle. There's one man standing against everyone else and he speaks. 
and they just melt away. It's not a battle at all. It's really just a staging ground for Jesus to display his power. And it's two different events. And so you want to be ready and not be ashamed. So by faith, the elders obtain a good report. And by God's word, these time domains, everything that we're in right now, these ages were framed and held together right now. So you have the opportunity to get into the word of God and put the very thing that is holding the universe together in the depth of your very being, that word, the word that holds all of us together can be the word that holds you together as you walk through this life right now. And that word is incredible. It will change your life if you just surrender to him and submit to the Lord. And so remember Hebrews 11.1, 1, what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's important because Hebrews 11.6, for by, without it, it is impossible to please God. And how do you get it? Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And how often should you do it? Every day. Search the scriptures daily. You've got to not be negligent and you've got to run to obtain as, as the Lord declares in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. And so if, you're, if you are anywhere in the world watching this, if you do not know Jesus, it is so simple. It's Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You can have your place in eternity forever. It's that simple. Do not... Do not miss this opportunity. And if you need anything at all, you can reach out to us. There's our email address, newcitychurch.love at gmail.com. We love hearing from everybody around the world, those of you in Kenya, those of you in Australia, those of you in Europe. We love hearing from you. So thank you for the encouragement. Before I close in prayer, I just want to share something. This was on August the 29th of 2022. Uh, the Lord gave, showed me this. Um, he took me to a place where there was, there was a group of us from church, and I couldn't, we were standing at a set of glass doors, uh, very similar to leaving a store with a black frame and a black bar across the middle of it. And on other, the other side, through the glass, it was so bright. It was blinding to even look at. It was so bright. It wasn't the sun, it was the sun, S-O-N not the S-U-N, because he's the light of the world. And he was standing there, and it was so radiant. You couldn't even look at it. It, was, it, just, it would just melt your eyes if you could even glimpse, take a glimpse of it. I think that's why uh, Moses wanted to look. Remember, but he came down the mountain with the veil over his face. It was shining so bright. He wanted to look on the Lord again, and the Lord covered his, his eyes, but let go to see the back of him, but not his face. Same with Ezekiel. Anyway, it was so bright. It was just radiating. And there was a sign on the door. And, and I couldn't see who was, who was with it. It was just Randy and I standing there. And it was pitch black. It was total darkness behind us. And, it, and all I knew was there were just a lot of families from New City with us. But I couldn't see who was with us. And at the door to go out, there was a, a sign that just had one word on it. It just said, surrender. That's it. And so the Lord, uh, he just said to me, you know, to keep moving forward in this time and what's going on in the world right now, there's only one character trait required, and that is surrender. And that's it. And the Lord, you know, he is pleading with all of us. Um, when you look at Jesus, he had the multitude, the, the 70, the 12, and then there was also this insider group, Peter, James, and John, and sometimes Andrew, Andrew made it a couple times. But even when in Jesus, you know, you see these, there were people that walked with him and just denied him. They walked with him for three, over three years in the flesh. And at the end of it all, just denied him still. They weren't surrendered. As close as they got to him, they weren't surrendering. And, you know, my... My plea with all of you is if there is anything in your life that is holding you back from getting 
on that inside track with Jesus, just surrender it. Surrender it to him. He can take that, and he is wanting to take that. He does not want you to carry a burden that you were never meant to carry in the first place. Cast your cares on him, for he is able to do that. And so, all of you watching, it is just that simple. Surrender to him. So, Lord, may we all surrender to you as you bring us closer into your presence and your light. So, Lord, we just thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you, Lord, for you are a consuming fire. And God, the closer we get to you, there is nothing of this world that can survive. It all melts away. Anything of the flesh, anything of this world melts away the closer we get to you. And may we all push further into your presence. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the book of Hebrews. We thank you for the call that you have on our lives. We thank you for the deep study in your word that, God, it is by it that we can implant it and, and bury it into the depth of our soul and our spirit and our mind. Lord, we thank you that out of the mouth comes the abundance of the heart, and we pray that it is edifying and fruitful for you and your kingdom, that we speak truth and we speak love and we speak the word of God, just as Mason and Jenny sang that song, speak. Lord, it's by your word as it comes forth out of our mouth that is edifying to steer the entire body of Christ in the direction that you want us to go. And we pray that we would be ambassadors and not take the name of the king and do nothing with it. As you declared in the Ten Commandments, don't take the Lord thy God's name in vain. I pray that, God, we do not take your name in vain, that we take it as an ambassador and set out into this world and do nothing with it. So, Lord, be with us and gird up our families. God, strengthen your people and be with us as we leave this place in the week ahead. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.